Father, we do live in very perilous times, a, a time when the love of many has waxed cold. And Lord, as we look at this text today and uh, Joseph gives the, his brothers a test, Lord, help us to learn from this because the test that they're going to take is the same test that we all need to be taking as believers, a test of our faith, Lord. Uh, and the real test of our faith isn't how... Uh, many verses we have memorized or how many times we go to church, Lord. The, the real test of our faith is love. And goodness, Lord, we know we need love in these very difficult times. We of all people uh, should not be people who, who allow our, uh, our hearts to wax cold. So, so, Lord, I ask you to just teach us this lesson today. There's so much to learn here. Uh, it should convict us all to become better men and women in Christ. And, Lord, I just ask you to do that by the power of your spirit today. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Ron, would you grab those two, two doors and shut those doors? In my, or Robert. Okay. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 44, and we'll be picking up there in verse number 1. Uh, Jesus gave the supreme test of faith, uh, the supreme, actually the supreme test of love over in John chapter 15, uh, verse number 13, when he said, greater love has no man than this, than that he would lay down his life for his friends. Early uh, in the morning hours of June the 2nd, retired police captain, uh, David Dorn from St. Louis, he had, was a 38-year-old veteran. He was asked by his friend to guard his pawn shop. And, and so he went to his friend's pawn shop, and he was guarding the pawn shop, and the looters and the mob came, and they told him to get a step aside, and they were going to raid the pawn shop, and he refused to step aside, and they shot him down dead. I asked the question, I mean, did he pass the supreme test? I mean, uh, the supreme test of love. I, I, we really don't know. I mean, I don't know the man, and I don't know too much about the story. I mean, if he was there because the, he had been paid by his friend, then I, the answer to that question would be no. If he was there because he was angry with the mob, then the answer to that question would be no. But if he was there and he refused to stand down because he loved his friend, then he did pass the supreme test of love. Today in our study, Joseph is going to give his brothers the test of love. And he's going to give them that test to see if they've really changed, if they really care about anybody other than themselves. Well, let's go back to where we were last week. If you remember, uh, the brothers had gone back to Egypt and, and they were, had gone there to buy grain. And they had faced again, and they were able to take, convince Jacob to let them take Benjamin with them. And they came and stood before Joseph, and uh, uh, Joseph treated them very kindly. He threw them a party. Uh, he threw a big party for, for them, and uh, he didn't let them know who he was. He still was hiding his identity. He knew who they were, but they didn't know who he was. Maybe they should have, because he had given them some hints. I mean, he kept asking them over and over again about their father. 
I mean, he had this strange uh, need for information about their father, Jacob. And so that should have clued them as to, 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 to some degree as to his identity. Uh, he, he, uh, they bowed down to him on several occasions, with, which fulfilled that great prophecy that, that Joseph was given in a dream, that one day they would bow down before him. And they did it on several occasions. And, and then when they're eating dinner, he does something uh, very telling there. He seats them in the order of their age, in perfect order. Now, someone would have to have uh, some kind of divine power, or they would have to know these brothers in order to do that, and that should occlude them. But they're having such a good time at the dinner, and they're, having, uh, they're drinking their wine, and uh, they're not pondering such matters as that. And so they drank their wine, and they went to bed as merry as a lark, and, and uh, they go to sleep. And while they're asleep, Joseph is finalizing his plans to shake up their world again. And so uh, uh, he's going he's gonna to do something that's really going to test them this time. And uh, it's going to force them to choose between their own self-centered needs and the needs of their father Jacob and the needs of their brother Benjamin. And it's going to be a test of their love. That's the test he's going to give them as, as we go to chapter 44. So go with me to chapter 44 and, and pick up in verse number 1 there. 44, verse number 1. And then it says there, And uh, while they were resting, Joseph uh, commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the man's sacks with food as much as they can carry. We're going to give them all the food they're going to need. And put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. So here we go again. He's putting the money back in the mouth of their sacks. And then he says, uh, also put my cup. And this cup they had probably seen Joseph drinking out of this silver cup. The silver cup in the mouth of the sack of the youngest. Put it in Benjamin's sack. And, and also put his grain money. So the steward did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. So here is Joseph, and he's planting this cup in Benjamin's sack. And uh, uh, when what he, he knows that when they, he, they see Benjamin with that cup, that it's going to cause them all sorts of const- a feeling of consternation. And uh, they're going to feel that they know that Benjamin didn't do it. They're going to know that. But they're going to feel that they're framed all over again, and they're going to go through that fear that they had the first time they had left Egypt. All right, then in verse number 3, he says, As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away and their donkeys. Now, they're feeling pretty good. I mean, uh, things had gone really well for them. They had gotten more food than they possibly could have thought they could have come back with. Uh, Their money that they had paid for the food is back in their sacks with their grain. Uh, they're going back home with, with, with uh, Simeon. He had gotten out of prison. Uh, this, uh, they're going back home with Benjamin. He's not having to stay. And this, the, the, the Lord of all of Egypt had thrown them this great party, so he really liked them. So maybe they could come back again and get more grain if they needed. So this thing was really going well for them. When they had, then in verse number 4 it says, When they had gone out into the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to the steward, get up, 
follow the man, and when you overtake them, say to the man, why have you repaid evil for good? I mean, here my master has done all these wonderful things for you. He's given you more grain than you're going to need for a while. Uh, He's given you your money back. He threw you a big party. And what have you done in return? You've paid him back evil. You've stolen his silver cup. Is not this the one, uh, the cup from which my Lord drinks and with which he indeed practices divination? Uh, You have done evil uh, in, in doing so. Now, I don't think that Joseph practiced divination. He wanted them to think. That, that he practiced divination. And, and those lords of Egypt, those kings of Egypt, those king, all those kings in that area, did a lot of them did practice divination. So this wouldn't have been out of the ordinary, but, but I don't think Joseph practiced divination. He says, he says, you have done evil in doing what you did. So he overtook them and he spoke to them uh, these words. And when, he, when they hear him accusing them of stealing that cup, they're taken back. Uh, uh, and, and, and they immediately deny the charges. I mean, they, 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 can't, they know that they didn't steal that cup. There's no way we would steal that cup. We're honest men. We're good men. And they, they said to him in verse number 7, and they said to him, Why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that we, we your servants, should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which... You found in the mouth of the sack. Now, if we were thieves, would we have done that? I mean, we, we proved ourselves by bringing that money back, the money you put in our sacks last time. And, and now you've put the money in our sacks this time, and, 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 and you've been good to us, and, this, and the Lord, this Lord of Egypt has been good to us. So, so why in the world would we do this? We would, we would never do such a thing. Uh, and then he goes on, he says, How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants, and now he, they, they make a bold offer here. We didn't steal it. So with whomever of your servants, if you find that cup among us, uh, uh, let him die. And we also will be your slaves. So, so they, they, they're pretty confident that they didn't have the cup. I mean, they were willing to become slaves. They were willing to let the one who had taken the cup die. They knew, that, they knew their brothers well enough to know that they weren't foolish enough. They might would have done it in other circumstances, but they weren't foolish enough to steal this Egyptian uh, Lord's cup. And then he said to them, he makes a counteroffer. He says, I'm not going to take your offer. That's too harsh. We, we're, 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 we're not that kind of people. He says, uh, now, let, now also let it be according to your words. He, is with, he with whom it is found shall be my slave. That's all I'm going to, that's, that's the justice we're going to take for, uh, for the person who stole the cup. Uh, and the rest of you will be blameless and you can go back home. And so, so uh, uh, they're so confident that they, you know, they say, hey, if you've, you've, you find the cup with one of us, you can kill the one you find it with and the rest of us will become your slaves. And he says, no, uh, we don't need that, but we will make a slave out of the person who has the cup. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. And there was the money again. They found the money in the sack, but there was no silver cup. Uh, And so he searched, and he began with the oldest, and there was no silver cup. And then he went to the next oldest, and the next oldest, and the next oldest, and there was no silver cup. Each had its sack. Each 
brother had his sack of money, but there was no silver cup. And then he came to the youngest brother. And who was that? That was Benjamin. And, and, and they're thinking at this point, please don't let it be Benjamin who has the cup. Because we saw what happened to Jacob when he thought he had lost Joseph for good. And how he wept. We heard him weep. Uh, we saw his tears. And so please don't let it be Benjamin. And you know the story. And it goes on to say, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And so their reaction is what you would expect it to be. Look at verse number 13. And then they tore their clothes in grief because they knew what this was going to do to their father. They knew how hard it was going to go back to their father and tell their father that Benjamin was a slave. If they told him that Benjamin was a slave, Jacob had already said, if you, if you don't come back with, with, with Benjamin, it's going to kill me. You're going to bring my gray hair down to the gray. And, and so they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey. Now, here's where you see this test of love in action. What are they going to do Next, if they were the same old brothers they were when they sold Joseph into slavery, I'll tell you what they would have done. They would have headed back for home and they would have left Benjamin there with Joseph as a slave and they would have gotten out of there as fast as they could. And if their father died, so be it. But look what they do. It says they return to the city. They return to most people say that Joseph was living in Memphis. Not Memphis, Tennessee, with Elvis. He was living, he was living in, in, in Memphis, Egypt, uh, which is near Cairo, present-day Cairo. And so, so uh, all of them but Benjamin were free to go. But the brothers weren't going to allow that to happen. Uh, they're going to do all they can do to see that Benjamin is free. I mean, it, it, you definitely see a change in these guys. I mean, because they're risking their lives in going back to Memphis with Benjamin. Uh, and and uh, by doing so, they're actually passing this test of love. Joseph's going to see that. He's going to see a change in these guys. They're going to prove that they actually have changed over the years. They had told him, remember when they first encountered him in, in Egypt, on their first visit to, to Egypt to get food during the famine, uh, they had told Joseph that they were honest men. They were men of integrity. Uh, but, you know, in Joseph's mind at that point, there was no way they were men of integrity. They certainly weren't men of integrity when they sold him off to slavery. And so uh, he didn't really believe when they said that they were men of integrity. But, but now he wants to test them. He wants to see if they really care about anybody but themselves. Do they really care about their father, Jacob? Do they really care about their brother, Benjamin? I mean, after all, I mean, here's Benjamin, and he's become Jacob's new favorite. Now, what a perfect opportunity uh, to get him uh, out of the way. Uh, and, and, and this time, if they left him there, they wouldn't even be at fault. It, wasn't their, it wouldn't have been their fault like it was with Joseph. And so they could have gone back, and, and if Jacob was bereaved, so be it. If that was the way their hearts were at that point, if they were that hard-hearted. 
But they passed this test of love because they had changed. And, and, and they were grieved by these turn of events. They were grieved at the, of the prospect that their brother might go in slavery. And so they were willing to risk their freedom and maybe even their lives to, to uh, save their brother Benjamin and to spare their father Jacob this great grief. So you do see this change in these brothers. And I think Joseph saw it too, uh, now beginning in verse number 14. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house. And, and he was still there. And they fell before him on the ground. Now this is the fourth time that they fulfilled that prophecy of bowing down before Joseph. And Joseph said to them, what dead deed is this that you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I certainly can practice divination? Now divination, those people that practiced divination believed in gods who were omniscient and knew all things. They knew the past, they knew the present, and they knew the future. And so they could tell you about you know, if you got this message from these gods, he could tell you about anything anybody had done. And, and, and there were people that practiced, lots of people, lots of priests and lots of leaders that practiced divination. Again, I don't believe Joseph was one of those. He's just trying to use this to, to continue on with his test. And so he, he said, hey, didn't you know that I could find out, that I had the power to find out who had stolen this? And I have found out. Now watch what Judah says in verse number uh, 16. Then Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak or how shall we clear ourselves? Now, they were, Judah's a smart guy. He knew he was in trouble because the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Now, I don't believe he thought that Benjamin had stolen the cup, but he knew that there was no way he was going to ref, be able to refute the, 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 the evidence and prove that Benjamin was innocent. And so he kind of accepts the fact that they're in a predicament. And he says, he says, what, what, uh, he says, what should we speak or how should we clear ourselves? And then look what he says. He says, God has found out the iniquity of your servants. God has found out the iniquity of your servants. What is he saying in that, in that phrase right there? What he's saying is we did something really terrible long, long time ago. And now we're paying for it. We're going to have to pay for it. All of us are going to have to pay it for it. Even Benjamin, even though he wasn't there and he wasn't part of what we did, he's going to have to pay for it. He just kind of accepts his fate at this point. And look, listen to what he says. He says, uh, here we are, my Lord's slaves. I mean, make us slaves. I mean, here we are, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. If you're going to take Benjamin as a slave, then you're going to have to take us. Well, he didn't have to, but we go ahead and take us as slaves also. And so that's pretty a noble offer right there. But he's not done yet. He's going to try to make a case. But watch what he says beginning in verse number 17. Oh, well, what Joseph says. But Joseph said to him, far be it from me that I should do so. Look, I'm, I'm a just man. I'm not a harsh ruler. I'm going to be fair about this. He says, the man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. That's what's just. He shall be my slave because he stole the cup. And as for the rest of you, get out of here. Go in peace. Go up to your father and 
take your grain and take your money and be glad you got out of here uh, with your freedom. Now, you think about this. This was their chance. I mean, this was their chance to cut and run. And I got to tell you, 22 years earlier, those guys would have cut and run. Those guys that, that were the same guys who, who sold ben, uh, Joseph off into slavery, at, at this point, they, they would have cut and run. They would have left Benjamin behind to fend for himself and, and bear the punishment for all of them. And, and, and here's Joseph. He's watching this very carefully. And he's anxious to see. He's given them this test of love. And he's anxious to see if they pass it or not. And, and watch what happens next. Then Judah came near to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And do not let your anger uh, burn against your servant, for you are even as Pharaoh. I mean, you are ruler, for all practical purposes, we see it. You're ruler over the Egyptian empire. You're, one, you're the most important man on earth. And in those cultures... The king was so important that no one approached the king unless the king allowed them to approach him. Remember the story of Esther, how, how Esther, who was married to the king, couldn't even approach the king unless the king allowed him, unless he lifted his scepter and allowed her to approach him? Well, he, he says, I understand how important you are. And so don't let your anger burn against me, but I want to make my case. I want to, I want to plead for your mercy. Uh, uh, please don't kill me. And then he begins to plead for mercy, and, and he begins to explain the situation and why it's so important that they bring Benjamin back. Look at what he says beginning in, in verse number 19. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father? The first time we came to Egypt, you asked us, Have you a father? We didn't, or a brother. We, we didn't understand why you were asking us that, but you asked us that. And we said to my Lord, We do have a father, an old man and a child of, and the child of his old age, Benjamin. Who is young? His brother is dead and he is alone. He alone is left of his mother's children. And, and his father loves him. Now listen to Judah's heart here too as, as, as we go through this. I mean, Judah's, Judah is giving a, an objective picture of the situation that he was living in with his father. And, he, and what, he, what he sees there, which was really true, Benjamin was the child that Jacob loved. And then you said to your servants, bring him down to me and I may set that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father for if he should leave his father, his father would die. His father loves him that much. He, he loves him more than anything in the world and, 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 and we can't risk that. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face anymore. You, you won't get any grain. You won't get any food unless you bring your younger brother down with you when you come back to Egypt. Now, I think when they left that first time, they didn't think they would have to come back. They didn't know the famine was going to last seven years. I think when they came this time, they figured they could get enough food. That's why Jacob said, just go get a little food. If you'll just go get a little food, then, then we can survive this famine and the Lord's about to end it. But they didn't know how long the famine was going to last. And so, so it was uh, when we went up to your servant, my father, and we ran out of food. We, did that food, we ate that food that we told him the words that you told us. And, and when we had eaten all the food that you had given us or, or, or sold us, 
Our father said, go back and buy a little food, enough to get through the rest of this famine. But we told him there was no way we could buy any more food. We cannot go down. If, if our youngest brother is not with us, then we will go down, and, but for we will not see the man's face unless you let Benjamin go with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife, now it's interesting, he had more than one wife, didn't he? But he refers, he's referring here to Rachel. He says, you know that my wife bore me two sons. She bore me two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. And the one went out from me and, and, and I said, surely he is torn to pieces. That's what they told him had happened to Joseph. And I have not seen him since. But if you take Benjamin also from me, I, I still think that Jacob suspected these brothers in the death of Joseph. However he died, they suspected he had had, uh, that, that those, Jacob suspected that Joseph's brothers had, had something to do with that. So he says there, he says, but if you take this one also from me, because it'll be your doing if it happens. And, the calam- and, a calam- and a calamity befalls him like befell Joseph. You shall bring my, uh, down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. And that's exactly what we saw last week that Jacob had told his sons. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since, watch this, since his life is bound up in the lad's life. What is he saying there? He's saying all that's important to Jacob is Benjamin. His whole life is bound up in the life of Benjamin. So it will happen if, we, if he doesn't come back. When he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. It will kill him. It will kill him. So your servant... We'll bring down, we will actually be responsible for, because we promised we would bring him back and we didn't bring him back. Your servants will be responsible for bringing down his gray hair of your servant, our father, uh, with sorrows to the grave. We will be the ones responsible for his death. Now, would they have been responsible? I, you know, indirectly maybe, but because they had promised they were going to bring him back and they promised they could get him back. But Judah had put a stipulation on that promise. I mean, a, a caveat on that promise. He wasn't sure he could bring him back. He just said, I'll take the blame for it if I can't bring him back. But we're all going to starve if we don't bring him down to Egypt. Now, put yourself in Judah's shoes here. I mean, this is 22 years after uh, they had done that harm to Joseph and sold him off into slavery. And he's still feeling the guilt for it. He's, he's feeling remorse for it. There's no doubt he's feeling remorse for it. And Judah can sense that in his voice. He can sense that in the way he tells this story. But, but as he tells this story, he acknowledges the fact that Benjamin, Benjamin is the son whom his father really loves. He's the one whose Jacob's life is bound up in. He's, Jacob's life is totally bound up in his son, Benjamin. Now, you've got to feel for Judah here as he tells this story. Because he's basically saying, my father doesn't really care for me. All he cares about is Benjamin. 
You almost would say, from a worldly standpoint, Judah was justified in hating his father. I mean, I mean, he was justified in justified in getting revenge against his father. He could have said, take Benjamin, I don't care, and gone on back home. And if Jacob dies, I mean, Jacob doesn't care anything about me. But he's passing this test of love because we're going to see he's going to he's he's willing to give up his own life for 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 Benjamin, really for his father, too, to save his father's life. At this point, Judah has accepted the fact that his father really doesn't love the other brothers. The only brothers he truly loved was uh, Joseph and Benjamin. And yet his main concern here is not about getting back at his father. I think that first time when Joseph came to Dothan, remember what they said when he came uh, marching up to Dothan where they had camped and were herding their sheep? He, they, he said, here comes, they, they said, here comes that dreamer. We'll see what comes of his dreams now. We're going to get revenge. He, he's the father's favorite. He's, he's, uh, uh, thinks he's going to rule over us. We'll see what comes of that dream. But Judas changed at that point. His main concern is for his father's welfare. And what would happen to his father if he didn't bring Benjamin back? And I think he's also concerned about Benjamin. Now put yourself for a minute in Joseph's shoes. As, as, as Judah tells this story, and he tells about how Judah sees the relationship between himself and his father and the relationship between Jacob and his, and his two favorite sons. And Joseph hears this story, and, and maybe at this point, Joseph is convicted. Maybe he can empathize a little bit with with. The pain these brothers had experienced their whole life. The pain of rejection. The fact that their father had rejected them in lieu of loving the younger brothers. That had to hurt. That had to hurt. And, and, and I think he, 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 he's, saying, he's seeing this or listening to what Jude is saying. And he realizes that maybe what they did to me wasn't so bad after, after all. Maybe I can see where, where their motive came from. The fact that they were felt hated by their father made them hate me. But even more importantly, what he's seeing here is maybe that they had really changed. Maybe they had taken the high road now. And instead of wanting revenge for being rejected by their father, they just wanted to do the right thing. They wanted to love their father, whether he loved them or not. They wanted to love their younger brother, whether he was the favorite brother or not. And Joseph proves that. I mean, he proves his love for Benjamin, and he proves his love for his father. Look at how this, this ends in the, the la- what he says in these last few verses. He says, for your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, 
if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame. I might not be able, able to bring him back. But if I can't bring him back, then I'm going to bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servants, let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord. And let the lad go up with his brothers, set him free. For now I shall, for how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? Lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. You see what Judah's doing right here? You see what he's doing right here? He's offering himself as a substitutionary payment for the crime that Benjamin was accused of. Now, Judah knew Benjamin didn't steal the cup, but he knew there was no way that he was going to be able to prove that Benjamin didn't steal the cup. Benjamin was a young lad. He might have been crying. He might have been begging, you know, please don't make me a slave. I didn't do this. I've been framed. And Judah knew that, but he knew he he didn't have a case. And he knew that, that God, in some form or fashion, was maybe punishing him and his brothers for what they had done to Joseph. And so Joseph wants to be rid of that guilt. He wants to do the right thing. And he loves his father and he loves his brother. And so he says, take my life as a propitiation, as a payment of substitution. Take my life as a propitiation for this crime that supposedly somebody committed and Benjamin's being blamed for. And in doing so, look at what he demonstrates here. He demonstrates, I think, his remorse for what he had done to Joseph years ago. I think he felt bad about that. And now he's demonstrating the fact that he did feel bad about it. He certainly demonstrates the fact that he he loves Benjamin and that he loves Jacob. And let me tell you what most importantly he demonstrates right here. That he loves the Lord. That he, because how does he do that? Because he passes the supreme test of love. For no greater love has this than that a man would lay down his life for a friend. And I believe at this point that all of Joseph's brothers were willing to lay down their life for their brother Benjamin, for their father Jacob. Did Jacob deserve that? No, and that's what love is. Love it is, isn't giving people what they deserve. We're in a country today where people are trying to give people what they deserve. And it just won't work. That's why we turn our cheeks. That's why we're told to love our enemies. That's why we're told to pray for those who persecute us. It just won't work. And these brothers at this point have grown in their relationship with the Lord, and they realize that. And and when we see here in a minute, we see Joseph weeping. Joseph is touched by all of this. He can't believe there's been this kind of change in his brothers. He hadn't seen them in 22 years. Over 22 years. But they really had changed. And he just, I mean, he's touched. He he can't stand anymore, stand it anymore. And he's got to tell them. He's got to tell them just who he is. That comes in chapter 45. But man, we we can't wait until until next week for that. We We got to at least read the verses. 
Not going to leave you hanging on a cliff here. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. He just wept and wept and wept. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. They're standing outside the door. What's going on here? And they hear him weeping, weeping out loud. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? He still wanted to know more than anything else. Is Jacob still alive? They had told him he was alive. But tell me one more time. I just want to hear it one more time. Does my father still live? But his brothers were speechless. Not surprisingly. But his brothers could not answer him. For they were stunned. Dismayed. However you want to put it. In his presence. And you can imagine what was going on in their minds. We'll talk about that a little bit when we get back to this story next week. But what a wonderful story of reconciliation and love. I mean, it's only going to get better because... Jacob, they're going to go back and they're going to tell Jacob. I don't know how they explain all of that, but guess what? Joseph is still alive. And they're going to get together. He's going to actually see his father again. His father's going to do everything he can to get there before he dies. He's actually going to live another, at least another 20 years. I think he was 130 at this point. He dies at 147. So he, he lives another 17 years. So they're going to have a, a really good long reunion together. It's going to be a great time of of fellowship, and, and, and Jacob's going to grow during this time. Can you imagine what happened to his fate when he found out Joseph was alive and all that griping he did was for naught? That, that grudge he had against God was for naught. You hold a grudge against God, that's, it's for naught. There's no reason to hold a grudge against God. God is working all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Before we leave here, though, just real quickly, we've got a few minutes. I want to go back to the part where Judah offers himself up as a substitution, as a propitiation for Benjamin. When Judah does that, he serves as a wonderful type of what Jesus Christ did for us. You see the typology in this, this passage right here? I mean, Judah was willing to be a propitiation for his brother. And so you see why, I mean, I don't know why God, God chose Judah to be the tribe from which the Messiah would come, but probably before the foundation of the world. But you can see why Judah was chosen here. Because Judah is such a type of what Christ is. Joseph is a type too. In fact, Joseph fulfills a lot of typology in his life. But Judah fulfills the most important part or demonstrates the most important part. And that is the substitution that the offer of his life 
as a substitution for the crime that someone else supposedly committed. That's exactly what he does right there. So he passes the supreme test of love. There's no doubt he passes the supreme test of love. But his love that he has for Benjamin doesn't even compare to the love that Christ has for this world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. He died for the whole world. He, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were sinner, sinners, we were not senators, when we were sinners, I don't, wouldn't want to be, a, that's a sinner for sure. Uh, I'm joking. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And while we were sinners, we were at enmity with God. We were the enemies of God. And so Christ didn't just die for the one silver cup. He died for all the sins of the world. He became a propitiation for every sin that has ever been committed. Every sin. In the introduction of the sermon today, I talked a little bit about the death or the murder of Captain David Dorn. Well, on June the 5th, based upon surveillance tapes that they had from the pawn shop, they, detectives were able to identify a suspect and arrest that suspect. His name was Stephen, his name is Stephen Cannon. 24-year-old young man. And they charged him with first-degree murder, of course, uh, with uh, first-degree burglary for stealing all the things in the pawn shop, him and his buddies, and for being a felon in possession of a firearm. And then they ran a rap sheet on him, and they said it was a mile long. This guy lived a pretty sinful life. But here's a thought to think about as we leave. Jesus died for all of Steve Cannon's sins. He became a propitiation for every single sin that Steve Cannon had ever committed. And if one day Steve Cannon decides to come to Jesus Christ and put his faith in Jesus Christ, he will become as righteous as Christ himself. Is that not a miracle? That's what Christ has done for all of us. And not only does he pay for those sins, he could take a man like Steve Cannon and change him from a man of hate to a man of love. Isn't that what Jesus Christ does for all of us? The gospel can change anyone. Anyone who receives it. And our Lord tests us when we receive the gospel. He gives us a test to see if we've really changed. And it's the test of love. You want to know if you've really been changed by the gospel? 
It's really had an impact. You've really been supernaturally made a new creation in Jesus Christ. Take the test. See, that's what 1 John is all about. 1 John is the test of love. I mean, do we really love our neighbor as we love ourselves? And I'll tell you what, in the divisive times in which we live, that's a test we all need to be taking as Christians. Because John warns us in 1 John uh, forget the chapter, I think it's chapter 3, that if we can't love the people whom we've seen, black, white, red, yellow, if we can't love the people whom we've seen, how can we love God whom we haven't seen? Look, if we're saved... God lives in us, and God is love. And if we're truly saved, we're going to pass the test of love. You're going to fail it sometimes, too. We're going to fail it a lot of times. And that's when we cry out to the Lord, And say, change my heart, O Lord. Make it ever true. Always true. True to you. But true to the test of love. Lord, help us to be people that love other people. We can't do that without your help. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the great grace that you've given us in saving us and paying for all of our sins and given us new life. But Lord, we lack in this area of love. I know I do. And I'm sure most of the people in this room lack in that area too. Lord, I ask you to to finish that work that you began in us when you saved us. Fill us with your spirit, Lord, and make us creations of love. People who can pass that test on a daily basis, basis, Lord even past the supreme test of laying down our lives for others. Begins with, with Lord, loving our neighbors ourselves, but then it ends with being willing to lay down our life for others. Lord, help us to be those kind of people. We can't make ourselves that way. We need your help. And Lord, in this time in which we live, we need it more than ever because it's so easy to gravitate towards hate and not love. We just ask you for that grace. We thank you for the grace we have in the cross and in salvation. We thank you in Jesus' name. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.